Good morning, friends. About that Facebook post. Yep, that's the title for today. Here's our text, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, what the New International Version translates as unwholesome talk, the King James translates as corrupt communication. Well, the underlining Greek word means rotten. It was used for decaying decaying flesh, rotten fish, rotten fruit. The meaning is don't let any putrid words come out of your mouth. Or we might say in street lingo, don't trash talk. Now, what qualifies as rotten speech? Well, I give you many examples, vulgarity, obscenity, indecent language, dirty jokes, off-color stories, uh, pornographic language, racial or ethnic slurs, uh, he, humor meant to insult or to put somebody down, angry outbursts, gossip, rumors, false accusations, uh, public criticism of um, your spouse or kids, yelling, screaming, uh, talking too much, cheap shots, uh, talking without listening, exaggerating, uh, excusing kind, unkind words by saying, well, I was only joking. Well, the Greek construction of verse 29 is a bit unusual. The verse opens with a Greek word that means all, each, and every. The word meaning no occurs later in the verse. That kind of gives a particular emphasis to his words. What he's saying is every critical comment that comes out of your mouth, no. Every filthy word that comes out of your mouth, no. Every harsh word that comes out of your mouth, no. Every cheap shot that comes out of your mouth, no. Every bit of gossip that comes out of your mouth, no. Now, why is this so important? Well, Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. See, every time you open your mouth, either life or death comes out. The Bible speaks of the throat as an open grave in Romans 3.13. When there is death on the inside, it eventually shows up in your words. According to Proverbs 29.18, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Or how about James 3.5 and 6? This warning, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by, guess what, by hell. Now, Ephesians 4.29 offers a Christian alternative. First, we're to speak good words that build up instead of tearing down. Now, second, we are to speak words that minister grace to those who hear them. And we are to do it all the time and in every circumstance. We're supposed to be speaking good words that bring grace according to the need of the moment. So I guess we could kind of boil down the teaching of this verse simply this way. Every word, all good, all grace, all the time. I mean, take a moment and just repeat that to yourself once or twice. Every word, all good, all grace, all the time. But some of you will say, well, you know, we have our excuses for what we say, don't we? I mean, we're, we're tired, we're provoked, we weren't thinking, or it didn't mean, I didn't mean it, or it's true, so I said it. And on and on we go justifying our verbal diarrhea. Uh, We all have people in our lives that drive us nuts. Some people just seem to have that spiritual gift of irritation. I always refer to them as heavenly sandpaper. They know how to get under our skin. So what is God saying to us? Well, he's saying no more stinking speech. 
Paul mentions the consequences of our unkind words in verse 30. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Do you know that you could grieve the Holy Spirit who lives within you? Now, grieve comes from a Greek word that signifies very deep emotion. Now, you can only grieve a close friend or a loved one. Uh, You can't grieve a stranger you meet on the street. I mean, you can irritate a stranger. You can offend a casual acquaintance, but you can only grieve someone close to you. As usual, Paul's advice is both practical and profound. Now, we tend to talk a lot about interpersonal problems as if the greatest issue in life is how we relate to other people. But I think verse 30 reminds us that our primary relationship is always with God. And it is possible to grieve God's Holy Spirit. You can make the Spirit weep because of your thoughtless words. Now, here's the reason. The Holy Spirit not only lives in you, he also lives in the Christian brother or sister you just slandered with your lips. Evil speech destroys Christian unity. We tolerate and sometimes even encourage a thoughtless attitude in the way we speak to each other and about each other. Now, every time I speak carelessly, I hurt at least three people. The person I speak carelessly about, myself, and the Holy Spirit. Every time I open my mouth, one of two things is going to happen. One, I'll build someone up, or I'll tear someone down. Now, that doesn't mean that we will never say anything hard or difficult. The warning goes to motive or purpose and must be judged by context. Proverbs 27.6 reminds us that faithful are the wounds of a friend. I mean, sometimes true friends wound each other in order to bring healing. Just like a doctor sometimes has to cut us in surgery in order to remove what's killing us. True friends sometimes say things that are not easy to hear. But in those cases, true friends first remove the telephone pole from their own eye before they start working on the speck that's in somebody else's eye. See, we grieve the Holy Spirit first by rotten speech. That's in verse 29. And then in verse 31, by rotten attitudes. But these two things are not separate. The scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I mean, whatever is in the heart must eventually come out in the words we say. Whatever is down the well is going to come up in the bucket sooner or later. Verse 31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Now, these are interesting words. They describe a collection of wrong attitudes that corrode the soul from the inside out. They produce a spiritual sort of jaundice that colors all we see. And friends, let's be honest, none of us is immune. Taken together, they form a kind of spiritual staircase of ascending evil. I mean, first of all, think of bitterness, the words that means pointed or sharp. It's referring to the pain we feel when we think we've been mistreated. It speaks to a deep emotional reaction that keeps us from thinking clearly. And if we dwell in bitterness long enough, it produces a wounded spirit and a hard heart. The second word is wrath, a word that originally meant to snort. It's the idea of the nostrils being flared in anger. This is hot-tempered anger that explodes under the slightest provocation. Now, we use the same image when we speak of someone being all steamed up with, you know, we picture smoke coming out of their ears. And that leads to anger. That's the third word here. The word speaks of a settled condition of the heart. Now, do you know a person who's angry all the time? Are you that person? You know, anger leads to jealousy, harsh words, and even murder. Angry people usually express themselves in, well, it's the fourth word, brawling. 
It means to raise your voice. It includes physical and verbal intimidation. It has the idea of shouting back and forth during an argument. I mean, how many arguments could be avoided if we just didn't raise our voices? Proverbs 15.1 reminds us a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Well, slander is the fifth word. And Paul uses an extraordinarily strong word here to describe this form of evil speaking. It means to make false accusations about someone or to offer vague insinuations to, that make another person look worse than they really are. Now, we can slander with words, with a lifted eyebrow, an unfinished sentence, a rhetorical question left dangling in the air, or by quoting someone, uh, but taking their words and twisting them into something sinister. Uh, we do it through insults, ridicule. Uh, unkind nicknames, rumors, uh, passing unfair, hasty judgment. Uh, sometimes it's posting something on Facebook that starts out with, I don't know whether this is true or not. Well, friends, if it, you don't know whether it's true or not, don't put it on Facebook. See, in legal terms, we call it defamation of character. I mean, words give us control over others. We all feel better if we can name something. I mean, every word we say impacts our relationships for good or bad. And once a slanderous words escapes our lips, our relationship is changed forever. It can never be the same. Now, this is the sin of those who crucified Jesus. They mocked him. They lied about him, falsely accused him. And as a result of their slander, he was crucified. And when you slander someone, you join those who crucified our Lord. <clears throat> now, malice is the sixth word, and that describes an underlining attitude of ill will. It's just a general dislike of others. And sadly, I see way too much of that on Facebook and other social media. And yes, I'll admit to falling into that problem on occasion. See, malice can be described as kind of congealed hatred. Uh, a malicious person can't get along with anyone. I and mean, note the progression of these first five rotten attitudes. What starts in the heart ends on the lips. What begins with bitterness ends in slander. We think we feel and then we speak. And what starts as a kind of a grievance becomes an outburst of anger that hardens into even wrath that expresses itself in, in clamor and ultimately is slander. I mean, malice marks such a person through and through. And it all starts with personal hurt that becomes bitterness. So stop it at the first and you will not have to stop it at the last. That's why Proverbs 4.23 reminds us to guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You see, friends, we're doing Satan's work when we climb that staircase. Every step is the step for him. And I hope you note that Paul says to get rid of all of these wrong attitudes. I mean, no root of bitterness, no symptoms of wrath, no trace of anger, no echo of clamor, no slime of slander, no dregs of malice. As long as we harbor those things within us, the Holy Spirit weeps inside of us. Those things must go and be replaced with something much better. Verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Well, let's take a look at some of these words here. Kindness means and speaks of gentleness in the face of provocation. It reaches out to the unworthy and withholds punishment even when it's deserved. Kindness is daring and dangerous because some mistake it for weakness. But it's the oil that lubricates the machinery of life, as someone said. Compassionate comes from the word that means good intestines. It's always my favorite Greek word, splonknitzomai. It means to feel it in your gut. 
Uh, th that's a word they used a long time ago because they thought the intestines and the bowels were the seat of emotions. We mean something similar when we speak of a belly laugh. But compassion says, I will care for you and I will not shut you out. The key to forgiveness is the middle si syllable, give. Forgiveness is a gift we give to those who do not deserve it. And go back and look at the text and note that verse 32 starts with us and ends with God. We are kind, compassionate, and forgiving to others because that's how God has treated us. It's from God to us to others. We do for others what God has done for us. We have been forgiven. Now we do the same for others. Now we're not left to wonder what it means to forgive those who have hurt us. We cannot, you cannot understand God's love unless you go to the cross. You cannot understand the cross unless you see it in God's eyes. His death became a sacrifice that was a sweet aroma to the Father. And you can read that in Ephesians 5 in the first two verses. You see, friends, man's murder became God's sacrifice. A horrible crime paid an impossible debt. Through the death of an innocent man, we are guilty. And we, the guilty, go free. If we had been there, the stench of death would have overwhelmed us, but the cross smelled good to the Father. The work of salvation was finally done. This text ties the most practical spiritual duties with the loftiest spiritual truths. No more trash talk. No more bitterness. No more wrath. No more anger. No more clamor. No more slander. No more malice. No more making the Spirit weep within you. Our faith in Jesus means imitating him. Jesus, as often as he met a sinner, did not reproach him. He took that man's sin upon himself and suffered on the cross for the sin. Now, if you want to know what love is like, go to Golgotha. Go to Mount Calvary. Fix your eyes on the man hanging from the center cross. Study what he did for you, and you will know true love. And then go and do for others what God has done for you. But some of you who are listening may say, I, I can't do that. Now, you just don't know what, what they did to me. <clears throat> well, friends, what if God treated you as you treat others? Well, you'd be in hell already. What if God were as unkind and as merciful as you are? What if he kept a record of your sins? I mean, you would never get within a million miles of heaven. I'm going to trash him like he trashed me. What if God said that about you? I don't know how much I can take. Well, just go as far as Jesus went for you. Do you know what troubles me most about this text with its warning about rotten speech and attitudes that grieve the Spirit? I'm going to be honest. I see far too much of myself in it. I mean, it's so easy for me to be unkind and ungracious. I'm sure it works the same for you. That's why I confess my own weakness and ask the Lord to you literally baptize my mouth, to sanctify my lips, transform my heart. And maybe you need the same thing. Maybe you need to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with the Lord and then with others close to you. I don't know. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. Stop making the Holy Spirit weak, weep because of your unkind words and your inner ugliness. Cry out to God for help. Ask the Lord to open your eyes and see the uncleanness within. Pray for a fresh vision of Jesus dying for you. What about what you just posted on Facebook?
Would it fit? And what we've talked about today, I think it's a challenge for all of us. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.